but this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it, and I will be glad to be in the house of the Lord today. You know, when, when um, Pastor Randy and I talked back in May about, about uh, these three Sundays, the past two Sundays and today, um, I, I began to pray, Lord, what would you have me to share on those three Sundays? And this faith crisis topic surfaced, and my, my heart was, and, and the reason that I think the Holy Spirit was leading me in this direction is because um, of the desire to share some things that I've learned in how to navigate those dark nights. How do you get through those dark times? How do you get through those challenges? I know that when I was walking through many difficulties in my life, the people that I wanted to hear from were the people who had been through difficult things, right? If someone began to comfort me that had not been through a difficult thing or they began to try to show me the way, well, the Word of God is true. And you can always rely upon the Word of God. When you go into the Bible, you can find uh, pathways for living and we can also share those things with people whether or not we've experienced some of, the, some of the things that it's talking about because the Word of God is true. Yet there is a power that comes from someone, the words of someone who has walked through things that are similar to what you're walking through. There, there was a time in my life that I, I wanted to hear from the gray heads. You know, I, I wanted to hear from people who had been through things in life that they had survived, things that they have lived through. And so to look at this, at this topic again and just a little bit of a review, as we're talking about a faith crisis, a crisis is a time of intense difficulty or danger. It's a time when a difficult or an important decision needs to be made. These are crisis times in our lives. And what causes a faith crisis? A faith crisis is when our faith is challenged, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. What causes a faith crisis? It's when we're transitioning through something that we do not understand and we cannot explain. It's when what we think we know does not align with our perceived reality. And sometimes it shakes us a little bit. It usually shakes us a little bit. And that's important. It's those times when our eyes, with what our eyes are seeing, does not align with what our hearts have believed. And so as we build on this that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, there's three things that we've talked about. One is trust. The reason that one sticks out to me so much that we talked about a couple of weeks ago is I remember that time, and I probably shared it a couple of weeks ago, but I remember that time when I said to God, if I could just understand what's going on right now, I think I would be okay. And his word back to me was, you don't have the capacity to understand, so you need to trust. And when we don't have the capacity to understand, thank the Lord we have trust. We can trust God that he will lead us to a good place. And then we talked about resiliency. It's that elasticity. It's what causes things to snap back. That when we have established patterns in our lives and when we have been faithful and we've walked that path 
with God. When we go through a difficulty, we might get knocked off center a bit, but the resiliency brings us back. It's that muscle memory. It's, it's the spiritual muscle memory. It's when we come back to the things that God has invested in our lives. And so those were two really big things in my life in recovering from a faith crisis or recovering from very, very difficult things in my life. And this morning, the third thing is pretty simple, and that's God is with us, and it's about relationship. It's about relationship. Now, um, I've been working toward this Sunday for a couple of Sundays already because this is where the real reality begins to shape us. This is, this is the thing that holds us steady. Relationship is the thing that anchors us, our relationship with God, our relationship with God's people. This anchors us. And when we walk through the dark nights, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when he is with us, we are able to walk through. We are overcomers in Christ Jesus. And I want to emphasize that. I started a little differently this morning, but I want to emphasize that, that we are overcomers in Christ Jesus, that there is victory in those who walk with the Lord. And I cannot talk about dark nights without talking about the light who is Jesus. And I can't talk about situations that overwhelm without talking about Jesus who helps us overcome. And I don't want to talk about my wounds and my, my open wounds without talking about the healer who has brought healing to those wounds. And I learned a long time ago not to speak out of my wounds when I'm teaching or ministering, but to speak out of my healing. And I speak out of my healing today of the confidence in my heart that we can overcome any and every situation in our lives, no matter what it is, if God is with us. Wow, that's phenomenal. Now, this relationship part, I'm going to talk about our relationship with other people. I'm going to talk about our relationship with God. But as we were worshiping, I was prompted, I was thinking about my relationship with Christ. I grew up in a home where my mother was a devoted follower of Christ. My dad was off and on. It's a long story. But some of my earliest memories were being in the basement of a church building in Princeton, West Virginia, just being probably a little guy because I can remember the tables and the tables were like this high. <laughs> so... I remember my mom was my Sunday school teacher, and those are some of my earliest memories that I had some little farm animals and a little toy set that I had, and I remember Sunday when she took my little farm animals to church and gave a lesson on Noah's Ark, and I can remember that. I remember Sammy Johnson standing on the table, jumping up and down, and trying to get him to, God bless those that work with our kids, because there is something that's happening in their hearts. There are things that they will never forget, and it is the introduction to who Jesus is in their life, to the Word of God, that even when it gets unruly, 
God is still working in their hearts as they're learning. But I remember those times, and, and I had a love for God, but it was when I was 14 years old that I began to understand the depth of relationship with the Holy Spirit. I began to understand that God was not a concept or a philosophy, that God was a person, that God was God. And there, were, there was a lot of trouble in our home, a lot of unrest in our home. Um, you know, the long and short of it was, as a 14-year-old, it's a very raw situation for me, and it's funny how our minds compartmentalize things, but my dad had left our family, and there were many things that I did not understand, and I felt very minimized because why would my dad, who I thought loved me more than anyone else on the earth, why would he leave us for someone else? I didn't understand that. And so that was kind of a crisis, a faith crisis in a way. It was the things that I'd learned as a child and trying to figure all those things out. It was certainly a dark night. But I hadn't been in church for a couple of years, and I had almost come to believe that I could not serve God. I could not follow him because I could never keep his rules. This is the way I had been taught was here are the rules and we must follow the rules. And by the time I was 13 years old, I'd come to believe that while I believed in God and while in my heart I loved God, I was not worthy to be a follower of his because I couldn't keep his rules. I mean, I'm 13 years old. What rules? You know, but that's the way I felt. I couldn't keep his rules. It was a Friday night. The local, there was a, a church in town that had a Friday night youth service, and a couple of kids called me. It started at 9 o'clock, and it went until midnight. A couple of kids called me and come to the youth service, and I thought, well, okay. And I, I went, and I sat in that youth service, and this was in the early 70s. There was a Jesus revolution happening. Um, Long-haired hippies were getting saved. The whole Jesus revolution thing was happening. And so church was looking different than I'd ever seen it look before. And as I sat there, one of the things they did is all, all, of, the, all of the youth would come and, and sit in the altar area at the end, they would pray. So I went and I sat in the altar area, I sat in the front of the church with all of the other youth, and I began to pray, I began to give my life to Jesus. I began to determine in my little heart that was almost 14 years old that I wanted to live for Jesus and I wanted to give my life to him. And there was something that began to happen in me that was beyond just an intellectual decision. Now I know that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ was coming into my life. You hear sayings like, you hear people say things like, ask Jesus into your heart. What's that mean? Jesus lives in me. What does that mean? Well, we know that the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of 
of Christ. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in the world. And the Spirit of Christ is Christ's Spirit within us. It's not a philosophy. It's not a theory. It's not um, a way of life. It's the person of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and doing something in us, a work of transformation. I began to weep, and a couple of the other young people were praying for me, and, and I began to say out loud, I'm giving, God, I'm giving you my life. I will serve you no matter what. I was making a decision. I would follow Christ no matter what happened in my life. I would follow him. I would trust him. Wow, there was so much I didn't know. But as I prayed, I began to feel the overwhelming presence of what I know to be the Holy Spirit. And it became so real and thick is a word that comes to mind that my English words began to turn to words that I'd never heard before as the Holy Spirit was filling me up to overflowing. I began to speak in a language that I'd never spoken before. I'm almost 14 years old, but this is happening. And as, as that was happening, I just felt an intensity of the presence of God in my life. Now, I've been, that was 49 years ago, 49 years ago. It'll be 50 years next March, 49 years ago. That night is so real to me. I left the church. Prayer meeting was over at midnight. I went home, and I lay in the floor of my living room just with tears running down my face. And the presence of God just totally enveloping me. I met God that night. Many of you can tell the story of when you met the Christ. You can tell stories of when the Holy Spirit came upon you and you knew that this was real beyond what your brain could tell you that it was real because every one of us is made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. The body is quite obvious. The soul is that part of us that gives us our personality. It, it illuminates us. It is, that's the part of us that people engage with. Our spirit that the Apostle Paul often calls the innermost being is that part of us that's very much a part of us. Our, our body is our outer being, our soul is our inner being, and our spirit is our innermost being. The every one of us created in the image of God you go back to Genesis, and when was it that life came into Adam and Eve? It's when God breathed into them. And the word for breath and the word for spirit are the same. That's what gives us life. And that's the part of us that interfaces with God. It's spirit to spirit. God speaks to us in very deep ways. And it is that relationship that goes beyond my understanding because here's another verse of Scripture that came to me often in my dark moments. The peace of God 
that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts through Christ Jesus. It is a peace that goes beyond our understanding in those moments when we think we should just be messed up, and sometimes we are, but there is this peace that is available that when we enter in behind the veil and we enter into the presence of God and we sit with him, there is a peace that begins to overwhelm us that we don't often understand, and that's the peace that I need and that I want in my life. Relationship. I've gotten ahead of myself because my first point was relationship with healthy people. So I'll put a pin in it and we'll come back that presence of God because God also puts us in relationship with people. This is part of God's plan. Relationships with healthy people. I can make it through a lot if I have a friend. My first friend is the Lord. But I can make it through a lot if I have a friend who will walk with me. God has put people in my life. We need healthy people in our lives. This is part of, this is the reason for the body of Christ, that we can go on this journey together. I may not understand something that you understand. I may not be able to carry a weight that you can carry. We can walk with one another. It's like a three-fold cord is difficult to break. We stand together. What is a healthy person? I'm talking about someone that's emotionally and spiritually healthy. We need to learn to recognize that. Toxic people do not bring life, they bring death. Spiritually and emotionally unhealthy people tear down, tear down more than they build up. When I'm going through a dark night that leads to a crisis of what I believe and what I hold on to, I need people who will encourage me. I need people who will build me up. Yes, and if there's no one to do that, God still can. But it's awfully nice when we have people to build us up. I need people who will give me grace instead of heap condemnation upon me because there was this reality that after serving God for so many years, there were so many things running through my mind, and sometimes I would say things that weren't exactly true out of my pain. And I needed people in my life that would give me grace, not people that would show me the door. I needed people that would give me grace. I, need, I needed people to put salve on my wounds. We need to cultivate relationships with spiritually and emotionally healthy people so when we find ourselves in a crisis, we're not alone. When I was a young pastor, there were no mobile phones. Thank God. <laughs> there was no social media. There were no texts. There were no email. There was none of that. As a young pastor, we had an extension of the church. Remember when the phones plugged into the wall? remember that. You know, a cord plugs into the wall. Yeah. All of, all of my people there. And we had an extension of the church phone in our house where we live. And one evening that phone was ringing and I answered it. And it was someone who was going through a wild, crazy time. And 
It was a woman. And she said, I really need prayer. Would you come over and pray for me? I said, no, I won't come over and pray for you. It's like 9 o'clock at night, and I don't know who you are. What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to make friends before you need them. <laughs> I don't have a pastor. You should have a pastor before you need them. I tell, you know, I tell, you're not going to have a pastor at 9 o'clock tonight. I mean, I've, I've been in a lot of crazy places, and I've done a lot of crazy things, and I've gone, and I've prayed, and I've ministered. But in this case, I'm like, this lady's crazy, and I ain't going to her house. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for wisdom. Anyway, we should minister to a lot of people who are growing spiritually and emotionally. We don't only connect with healthy people, but we also connect with people who are on the journey so that we can be that person in their life that can help them. But we have to have people in our lives that are healthy even as we are often the healthy person in someone else's life. So how do you know if somebody's healthy? Well, they build you up rather than tear you down. Come on now. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Got those people in your life? Huh? They tear you down. They don't build you up. Those aren't the healthy people in your life, okay? But they're family. Well, God bless them. They're still not the healthy people in your life. <laughs> they need to minimize you in order to feel good about themselves. So anything that you feel good about, they, they have to tear it down a little bit because they need to feel good about them. They're sick. They're not healthy. They're not healthy. There's something in them that keeps them from being healthy. Do they turn every situation and make it about them? Well, hey, there's a lot of people that do that, so I'm not going to knock them a lot, but it's like, what's the matter, David? Oh, man, my wife died a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, man. My goldfish died last week. <laughs> they always make it about them. It's always about them. What are you walking through? Huh? You know, this really hip. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what. I, was, it's a... <laughs> I better pick the pace up. Is there a good balance of giving and taking? Relationships are reciprocal. It's like I go here. They at least got to come here. Go here, they come here. It's not like bing, 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 and they're still down here. You're tracking with what I'm saying? Transparent moment. I learned this when I was dating. See, we've been married nine, 10 years, and there was this season in the middle where I'm trying to figure life out again. And it's like, how do you know if somebody's tracking with you? How do you know if they're not tracking with you? Text message, text message. Text message, text message, text, text, text. Forget about it. <laughs> it's not there, okay? I'm sorry. It's just, it's not there. 
Reciprocal relationships are healthy relationships. Have they earned the right to speak into your life? How are they at managing their own emotions? And how do you find people like that? Well, they're there. God put them in your life. You just have to see them. Sometimes they're at a distance. Sometimes they're the people that you're not even looking for. But have you heard the adage, to have a friend, you've got to be a friend? And that's why the body of Christ is so important, and this is why spiritual friends and counselors are so important. Scripture verse, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is described in this way as the friend who sticks closer than a brother. I've had a few friends that have stuck to me, stuck with me closer than a blood brother would have. They have walked with me. They stuck with me. That is powerful. In Proverbs 17, it says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A brother or a sister comes into our life for those moments when we're burdened and when we're weighed down and we've got nowhere to turn or nowhere to go and we can't even source things out. They are in our lives and they've been placed there by God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the apostle is encouraging the people of Thessalonica where he says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. There's a verse of scripture in Romans that I didn't pull for this, but it's like outdo one another to show honor. It's like make the effort, make the effort, and God will bless it. John chapter 15, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It is our relationship with God that sustains us. It's our relationship with God that enables us to recover. Our relationships with others sustain us. And we're encouraged to both rely upon others and to be reliable for others because this is the body of Christ that we are together or we should be. God's word throughout history has been revealed corporately more so than individually. What's that mean? It means that God throughout history has spoken more to groups than to individuals, even though when he speaks to an individual, it usually is for the group. Now, hang on. I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to us individually because he does, okay? I believe that with all of my heart, but God is a God that is about relationship. All ministry, this is one of my value statements, and not the people that I train and work with, they hear it all the time. All Ministry takes place in the context of a relationship. Uh, so, the body of Christ is a community. One of the most famous paintings of all time, Da Vinci's Last Supper. Together, they're in relationship. You've seen it before, Jesus modeling relationship. These 12 disciples doing life together, Jesus is modeling relationship the good, the bad, and the ugly. Recently, I saw this image modified by artificial intelligence to look like this. And it was about 
It was about you need to go to church. You know, you don't want Jesus to be sitting there alone. Kind of sad, isn't it? What's the first thing that pops into your mind when you see that picture? I took my hearing aids out so the microphone would fit. So I'm going to trust that you've got some good input. The first thing I thought of was no Judas. No Judas, no cross. Now it's starting to look better, isn't it? Think about it. Think about it. This is what we open ourselves up to in relationship. We open ourselves up to the good and the bad and the ugly. Relationships are messy. Working through life with people is messy. My very best friends, we've had times where we, we had to be all grown up and work through things. With my very closest brother friends, I've had to work through things with every one of them. But with Jesus, there is Peter, James, and John. There are the 11. Yeah, you know, Judas, whatever. He, he wasn't healthy. But there's the 11 who each of them gave their lives for this gospel of the kingdom as this went forward. Life is to be lived in community because when we live outside of biblical community, we are more subject to unchecked perspectives that lead to deception. Say it again. When we live outside a biblical community, we are more subject to unchecked perspectives that lead to deception. I need people's input. I need their perspectives. And sometimes people have been the greatest detriment to my faith, but at other times they've been the greatest encouragers and strengtheners to my faith. I survived my greatest doubts and darkest days because of the spiritually and emotionally healthy people in my life who were friends to me and helped me through. What am I saying? Connect to the body of Christ. There's a dynamic that we learn together that we can't learn by ourselves. Back to the pen. Relationship with God. Trust and resiliency kept me anchored in relationship. But transformation requires revelation, and revelation requires relationship. God reveals himself to us in this relationship that we have. Transformation, that's the change. That's the change that I was talking about that night when I was almost 14 years old, when things began to change in my life. I went to my, I guess you would call it middle school, I was in the eighth year of school, went to my school the next week and decided that I would always take a stand for Christ. My life was changed. It was transformed. There have been rough times. There have been good times, but no turning back. God reveals himself in relationship, and this revelation, when he reveals himself, transforms us according to the image of Christ. See, to go back to that kid that I was, that I didn't think I could serve God because I couldn't keep all the rules, I came into a reality of relationship with God where when I say to God, I can't keep your rules, you know what he says? I know. That's why I gave you the Holy Spirit. 
because the Holy Spirit will empower you to be able to do those things that you ought, not just for the sake of keeping the rules, but because God has a good and perfect plan for your life, and the Holy Spirit will help you follow that in your life. This is relationship with God. We can't really follow him without relationship. It wasn't designed that way. Resiliency brought me back to the things that were embedded in my life. Knowing and believing that he is with me is what took me through. That was the verse of scripture out of Psalm 23 that I held on to always. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. God calls us to communion more so than just communication. Prayer is communication, but more importantly, prayer is communion. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing. That one bugged me for a long time. I got to work. I got to take a shower sometime. Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Gradually, I came to the awareness that praying without ceasing was living in an abiding state with Christ. That wherever I go, I recognize that he is with me. Whatever situation or circumstance I face, I recognize that he is with me. To pray without ceasing, it means we walk with him, that we do life with him. It means that we live in an attitude and an awareness of the presence of God because communion is a relationship. In 2005, thereabouts, that's how long ago it was, someone had recommended a book, and it was Henry Nguyen's The Return of the Prodigal Son. I began to read the book. The cover of the book had this image of a painting by Rembrandt that was a painting of the story of the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15. This painting hangs in a museum, I think in Amsterdam. Someday I should stop by and see it. But the author of the book went to that museum, stood in front of that painting for hours and hours and just stared at it and let God speak to his heart. Tells us in Luke chapter 15, this story of the prodigal, that the prodigal By the way, prodigal means spending money or using resources freely and recklessly. It is wastefully extravagant. I always thought prodigal meant son that had gone away, you know. But it's spending money or using resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. And that was the son because he had a very wealthy father. And he goes to his father, you know the story, he goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. I don't know how that works, but that's the way it worked, I suppose. There was an older brother who in this picture, I think is the one looking from around the corner. But this son took his part, his inheritance of his father's wealth, And he left and he wasted it all. His life utterly went down the drain. And one day he wakes up living in a pigsty with everything gone. 
And he's thinking, you know, I can't go back to my father because of what I've done. But maybe my father would give me a job because even his servants are far better off than I am. I think I'll go back and just see if he'll have mercy on me and make me one of his servants. Because he didn't keep the rules. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He blew it. Maybe I could be a servant in my father's house. So he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. When was I ever worthy to be called a son of God? When were you ever worthy to be called a son or a daughter of God? When were we ever worthy? We didn't earn it. Jesus paid for it, and it's the heart of the Father. Father, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the Father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that you're not worthy. I'm just going to kick into gear. Here's a robe. Here's shoes for your feet. Here's the family credit card. That's the ring on the finger. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate, for this is my son. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found, and they began to celebrate. And Rembrandt captured this image with this raggedy, his shoes are completely worn out. But the thing about this image, the hands of the father, but this young man rests his head on the chest of the Father in this painting. When I read the author's words, he said, I have to kneel before the Father, put my ear against his chest and listen without interruption to the heartbeat of God. Then and only then can I carefully and very gently say what I hear. And I realized that my mission in life, some may argue with me, ask me what my mission is, and I will quote this to you. This is my mission. There's a lot of things I can do, and there's a lot of paths that I can take, but this is my mission. I have to kneel before the Father, put my ear against his chest, and listen without interruption to the heartbeat of God. There is a spiritual dynamic where we come into the presence of God and we listen to him and we listen to what he's saying. The Bible, particularly the King James Version, speaks of tongues. I think that's a weird word. It's translating languages, languages. The theological term for it is glossolalia. Could be a spiritual language, it could be an earthly language that the speaker has not learned, and though I've only encountered someone speaking a language, an actual earthly language that they've not learned, I've only encountered that a few times 
In my experience, it is usually a spiritual language that they are uttering or that I am uttering. This is a part of my life. We flew out of Nairobi a few years ago, Kenya Airways, and we hit some of the roughest turbulence that I've ever been in in my life. Sitting next to me was a Kenyan lady. She had her head on the, on the, the tray, and she's praying in the Spirit, man. She is, she's speaking in tongues, if you want to put it that way. She is praying in the Spirit. I just looked over and thought, Sister, I am with you. I am with you. It's such a strong part of my life. Acts chapter 2 talks about it. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. There was a sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house. You say, Pastor David, that's crazy stuff. Well, it might be, but this is so much a part of my life and has been since I was 14 years old. This is part of my communion with God, and it is powerful to me. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, where it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. You know, I'm okay if you think I'm foolish or if this is crazy stuff. But I know that there were those dark nights of the soul where pressed into the presence of God and I had no words whatsoever. And the Holy Spirit put the words in me. Sometimes for moments and sometimes for hours. The Bible says pray in the Spirit but also pray in your understanding. We can't just pray in the spirit language all the time. We've also got to pray in our understanding because there's something that happens with that as well. But there's been times that I just never had words to say and the spirit prays on my behalf and I participate. There was a Lutheran pastor named Richard Wormbrand. I read this book a long, long time ago. I've never been able to find it since. But I know of Richard Wormbrand. He was arrested in Nazi-occupied Germany during that time frame. He was arrested and he was put in prison as a Lutheran pastor who was part of the resistance. They put him in solitary confinement for three years. There'd be times that they would take him and put him in what they called the icebox. It was like a refrigerator, like an icebox where he would stand. He couldn't, he couldn't even bend his knees to lay down. He would write sermons in his mind and preach them over and over. But there came a breaking point, and his testimony was, people ask him, how did you keep your sanity? He said, I almost lost it. And as I was praying and I had no more words, the Spirit of God began to pray through me. And that's how I kept my sanity. That's how I kept my sanity. We don't seek the gift, we seek the giver. Speaking in an unknown language is not the point. The point is that I press into the secret place with God in relationship, and he meets me there. People always ask crazy questions like, if I don't pray in the spirit like that, does that mean I'm not of Christ? No, it doesn't mean that at all. 
Does it mean I'm not saved? No, doesn't mean that at all. Does it mean I won't go to heaven? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Do I have to do this? No, you don't have to do it. But for me, there would be a dynamic missing in my life without that. Because it's the interface of spirit to spirit. Through the years, it's become quite natural to me. If you're ever in a car with me and there's a car coming head on and it looks like we're going to crash, you'll probably hear it. If you're on a roller coaster with me and it goes down the hill, you will probably hear it. It's a response. It's the secret place that I move into quite quickly. And in all of this, what do you do when you're walking through the dark night of the soul? What do you do when you're beginning to doubt the underpinnings? You need to walk with people who are healthy. But more than that, you need to walk with God. 